0: Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they're not alone that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today I'm very excited to be interviewing Melinda Cross, who is a communication specialist
1: with an emphasis on book writing. Welcome, Melinda. Thank you, Kathy. I'm so happy to speak with you today for many reasons, including my background is a little bit in storytelling too. So we share a, a mutual interest and passion. So I, I applaud your uh, uh, topic of your podcast, and uh, I, I think stories are the best way to connect people to ideas and and inspiration.
0: That is true. We have that in common. So fun. And I love that we met through a women's book club, right? We kind of started this last year during COVID. And it's one of those things that we all just are in that personal development, learning, and growth mode. And um, this is kind of an extension of that, I guess. So,
1: yeah, books have played a huge role in my life. They've always been a thread, but there's been times when they played more of a role, less of a role. So we'll talk about that as we go along here. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how you. How you got to where you are today.
0: So, but I always like to start with the icebreakers so that the audience gets a better sense of you as a human being. So, tell us uh, where you grew up, what part of the country or what part of the world, and, you know, kind of what your family dynamics was, you know, how many siblings, where you were in the birth order,
1: that kind of thing, and and how you think that shaped you then. Great. Yeah. I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. It's way up northern Minnesota, 110 miles from the Canadian border. beautiful beautiful part of the midwest and minnesota but you know by my standards even as a young girl i thought it was way too small for me i mean i i love being outdoors you know i had great friends great education but i i just had was a big reader and i was reading about places like paris and london and and africa and i'm like i think i want to go see the rest of the world so i actually told my parents at a very young age like i'm not kidding you like eight years old i'm not going to live here when i grow up so (laughs) <laughs> so I was a little bit of a handful from day one.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. You had big plans uh, from your
1: small town. So so how how many siblings did you say that oh, already? Yes, I am I'm the oldest and I have a younger sister and a younger brother. Um, but you write the as much as you might think DNA might supersede um, birth order, there is something about birth order. And I i was the oldest, so I was pretty much the one, the ringleader, the, you know, the we're going to do this today, and we're going to play fort at this time, and we're going to play, you know, racing cars at this time. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, you can't escape your birth order to some degree. Well, you can't,
0: and when you are the oldest, you have more ideas about what you want to do. And I totally get that. Right. And so, yeah. and you probably left kind of in charge or you're supposed to be the responsible
1: one. So yes, yes, what was, I was. what's the age difference between the three of you? Just a couple of years in between each of us. So uh, close enough to be interested in the same things, but also close enough to be kind of annoyed with each other a lot because you know, we all had our own ideas and groups of friends and, and ways we interacted with the parents. So, um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun growing up. We, you know, were close, but um, listen, no no family doesn't have a, a lot of bumps and lumps they have to get over sometimes, you know? Oh,
0: absolutely. And then the good news is, is that they've got dirt on you and you've got dirt on them. So yeah, exactly.
1: you know, the dirt gets left in
0: the back, hopefully. Well, the only
1: <laughs> thing I was glad about was down the street, my best friend came from a large Italian Catholic family. And so those six kids talk about dirt. All they did was like rat on each other at the dinner table every night. I decided I'm glad I'm not in a big family like that because it'd just be more more dirt to be you know dumped on you. You know. So, what kind
0: of activities did you do as a young person? Were you into sports or dance or music or?
1: You know, I was always a creative person. I I uh, played piano and uh, violin from a very young age. Um, thought about going to music, but um, it's hard to make a living that way. Um, when I wasn't playing my music, I was reading and I have a, I was one of those quirky little kids who in the summer, instead of going out and play in the, you know, Sandlot or, or the local um, basketball court, I would get up every morning, walk five blocks from a little public branch library in my neighborhood. You know, the, it was probably only a one room. I would go through the card catalog, decide what I wanted to read that day, check out my little books, bring them home. Read them that night and bring them back the next day. I mean, that was my summer. I mean, it's like you could just say it now, geek, nerd. I don't care. I mean, um, but anyways, that took up a big part of my summer. But um, again, nor- you know, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, summer's gorgeous. So my family was boating, camping. You know, I was outdoors a lot. But um, I would say the arts, music, writing, theater yeah that so it sounds like cool. when you ha- had your um, pick of what you could do for
0: the day without you know siblings or whatever it was go to the library and read and reading, yeah and,
1: like, <laughs> exercise that imagination and wow very yeah, cool yeah. okay uh, uh, I so- have to say add one more thing though I'm sorry is that um, even though my parents live in a rather small town my, my father had a lot of curiosity so he would subscribe to National Geographic and the New Yorker, so that just even more fueled my curiosity to get out there in the world and see what was going on. So um, uh, I have to credit him with my uh, adventurous side. You're, uh, you're wonderlust, so to speak. Very
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. cool. I love National Geographic. I remember that as a kid. Uh, that was just because you know on TV you got to see the programs, but not very often. But the magazines really, I I did enjoy those magazines, the photography and. It never really made me want to travel. I guess I, you know, I kind of had this self-limiting view, I guess, that I would never go there for some reason. I don't know why. I never thought that was a possibility. That's interesting. But meanwhile, you're in small town as well, going, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see the world. So okay, so we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Are you an introvert, an extrovert,
1: or an ambivert? I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you gave that last option. I am an ambivert, you know. I think one thing that I read is that, you know. You need to. You know, it's helpful if you're both because you need that introvert side of you to, even if you're not a writer, you need that time alone to think, to write down your ideas, to strategize, whatever your you know field is, to be able to sit down for a couple hours and really do that. Yeah, I think the phrase is deep work. I think there's even a book out there called Deep Work. You know, no distractions, no people, just really do that work. But then the flip side is being extrovert helps when you have to sell your idea, manage a team communicate to clients. So um, I feel lucky that I are blessed that I can kind of work both sides, you know, Um, so I I am an ambivert. I'm grateful for that, actually. Yeah. And has it been that
0: way pretty much for most of your life?
1: You know, I would say so. Because, um, again, practicing your instrument, reading, writing, I, I got comfortable early on being alone. Yeah. the flip side is i mean i i am social i i like to i i enjoy going up to events being with people i mean i liked when i was in the advertising agency world i love presenting to clients and having those relationships and so um uh yeah i would say i'm pretty equally split as far as i can tell you know yeah very cool well i'm yeah i'm glad I just recently in the last
0: i guess Year or so learned about the ambivert, and I'm like, oh, that's definitely where I'm. I'm so I'm a middle child, and I tend to be in middle on a lot of the personality tests. And uh-huh. so then, yeah, so introvert, entro, extrovert, really, I am definitely an ambivert. Maybe leaning a little more extroverted, I think after COVID, you know, and the withdrawal. Well, who isn't? I yeah. Know. Well, yeah. another thing we share in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, on the fun meter scale of one to five, one being couch potato, five being life of the party. Where do you put yourself?
1: You know, I, I, I'm a little bit of a whirling dervish. I've always got a plan going on. I'm like, okay, wake up today. What's something fun I can do? And, and, you know, corral some other people into doing, I, I, I am, I am extrovert in that way. I I like to go out and do things, hike, ski, go to concerts, you know, I'm talking about, you know, non-COVID times. Um, You know, I like to surprise people with little gifts or little, you know, so I'm always, I'm, listen, life is hard, you know, we're no, no, nobody goes through life unscathed by something. And I think the more you can try to wake up and try to bring a little joy into your life each day, the joy of others, that's really important. So yeah, I, I like to, I like, to, I like, I like fun. I like to laugh. I mean, I think laughter is truly the best medicine. Yeah. So. so you would put yourself like a four or five or I would say five, yeah. or seven or an eight. All <laughs> <Yeah>, right.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, on the risk meter, same scale, one to five, where do you put yourself? One being low risk taker, five
1: being high risk taker. Well, that's, I think, a really interesting question because I think it's something that you might evolve over your life. I think um, my parents weren't risk takers at all, especially my mother. So I, I mean, the most famous words are when you said you're doing something. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> so I mean, God bless her. But um, she would never say have fun, it was always be careful. So I think my family dynamics was not risk-taking, it was, you know, be sort of careful. So, but as I kind of went along in life and, you know, I realized that, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without a little risk-taking, either personally or professionally, I grew more comfortable with risk-taking, you know, and now as I'm further up altitude in life, I feel like, um, you know, risk with, um, with some, uh, contemplation before you do the risk, you know, I am not yeah. rush in, but I think that, you know, being comfortable with the unknown is something I think it's such an important lesson for everybody because no one can, we could, no one can control the future or predict it, but, you know, try your best to like, hey, what's something worth going for? And if you have to take a risk, you got to try, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like you
1: said, maybe a, a calculated or educated
0: risk that you yeah. So you research first you don't just jump off the cliff you at least look down <laughs> yeah right how deep That's is it their measure how far
1: <laughs> yeah i remember reading a book once about a woman who like was a waitress and some guy walked into the restaurant and they had a conversation she said hey you want to go to mexico with me and she said sure and she up and left so now that that would never do that kind of risk taking. That's a little bit too much for me but um you know so there's a there's a, there's a sliding scale of risk taking so i think i'm sort of Maybe at a six or seven, but, but but not a ten plus, you
0: know. Well, I'm I'm glad you give that example because you know sometimes the things you do in life, people might look at you and go, "Wow, that's high risk, right?" And when you start a business or you yes, leave a company to go out on your own, that kind of, some people think that it's high risk, but what your story is, everyone can relate to that, go, okay, you're right, I wouldn't do that, (laughs) I might do this or this, so, well, very cool, well, Belinda, tell us a little bit about what it means, or what it's like to be a communication specialist, with an emphasis on book writing,
1: and then we'll hear from you, and go into, how did I get here? Yeah, right, well, um, i you know, kind of own my own communications practice for about 20 plus years. And um, we'll get into that a little bit later how that happened. But um, I, uh, because my background was a little more marketing and advertising, when I started out, a lot of my work was, you know, writing, you know, brochures and ads and websites and speeches and magazine articles for mostly corporate clients. I mean, I did some startups and some mid sized companies. Um, and it was, I'm, I, I'm again, very blessed because I had, you know, great clients who were, you know, pretty steady. I, I, referrals worked out for me. Um, and I, I loved, I loved the variety of clients. I loved projects. Mm-hmm. I, I was writing, which I, is my true love is writing. Um, but after doing it for about 15, 18 years, I sort of felt like, you know, I, I felt like I'd sort of tackled or at least attempted to solve every um, marketing issue or communications issue that might come down the the pike and and across all kinds of industries. I've worked in, you know, CPG and and finance and technology. So I'm, again, very lucky to have seen a broad swath of business communications. Then I started getting a little hungry for maybe something even more creative. And so through um, some friends and peers that started working more in the book publishing world they said hey i think you might be really good at you know being a what they call kind of a ghost writer although now that's kind of morphed from the phrase collaborative writer you know in the nonfiction world so i'm, I'm not writing novels i I'm, I'm writing you know books for first-time authors a lot of them are business people maybe executives academics um i've done some corporate histories and um again it that that was nothing but the universe or pure luck. I mean, in the back of my mind, I probably thought, gee, wouldn't it be great to write a book someday? But I had no idea how how do you how does that start? You know, I didn't go to any publishing school at in Columbia, in New York or someplace else. And so it was just, it was a little bit just happy accident that um, I just knew enough some people and, and they said hey I think you might be um, good at this. So much gratitude to them and, and the universe for stepping in and helping me kind of return to what I really loved as a young girl which is books you know
0: yeah
1: very cool so it sounds like when you say oh I want to write a book someday you actually have written probably
0: dozens of books but it's for for or, and or with other people it, it hasn't necessarily been oh you want to write a book because you want to write uh you know uh, either a
1: fiction book or right. maybe a particular topic so wow right That's I cool. mean the, and this is uh maybe something interesting that maybe you know or maybe you don't or anybody listening is that most nonfiction books, I mean, probably like seventy to eighty percent of them are written for the author by somebody else. I mean, I mean, because it comes down to a couple of things, time. I mean, to write a, a book is typically a nonfiction book, fifty to seventy thousand words. That's a big manuscript, and that just takes a lot of dedicated time. And most people, when they're doing something else, they have a business or they're a team to manage or a company to run or a you know course to teach. I mean, you you have to almost devote three, four hours a day to writing a book if you want to get it done in any, you know, reasonable amount of time. So I'm sort of hired to kind of just kind of put that, you know, get that elbow grease going. You know, part of my job is to listen to them and understand their voice. You know, they can provide me with the content, the written content, but I also need to be on Zoom with them or on a call to kind of get to hear their, you know, how they speak um you know a lot of it's being their coach and their therapist because you know like anybody creating something you get stuck mm-hmm. you know I, I i have a phrase called the messy middle it's like you know you, you go out on a path with the part of the story or part of the book and you're like oh i'm not sure this is working we got to do some adjustments so you know i kind of help them understand that that's part of the creative process is to be you know sometimes you're a little uncertain where it's going but you just have to keep working and you have to kind of trust the process that, you know, if you put your mind to it and really use your good, you know, thinking powers, the answer will appear, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've read that about um, creativity. is It's messy when we want it to be easy and fast and just come to you. Know, I mean, some people, when you see their end product, whether it's writing a book or maybe creating artwork or something and you know you see the end and you don't know the messy in the middle right you don't know how many times they started and right. stopped and restarted or
1: you know got stuck
0: and all of that you just see the end result and
1: yeah I think one of the hardest things when I work with a nonfiction writer is that you know again nonfiction, not a novel you know is that people buy nonfiction books to learn something that might help them in their life or transform them their life. so um there's a little bit of a, I would say a marketing angle to nonfiction books, you, you, you know, an author might come to you with an idea, but they haven't kind of completed the idea to like, what is in it for the reader? Like, what's the benefit to the reader? How, what, how do you want to lead the reader? You know, now academic writing is more about, well, I'm just going to dig into a topic and learn everything about, you know, how butterfly wings works or something like that, but, but a non, a popular nonfiction book, people are reading it to learn something. So. That's sometimes the hardest struggle is getting people to understand you've got to make a your your idea so compelling and so relevant that I you know someone's gonna wanna put that pick that book off the shelf or order order it on Amazon so they can um you know improve their life in some way. So yeah, a yeah. yeah, so little bit of that marketing angle has really come in handy with my my background in marketing prior to this book writing.
0: Yeah, sounds like well then let's let's get into that into the how did I get here? So you already told us that you were a reader, a writer as a young person, that was your dream. Is that when you were junior high, high school, were you thinking, oh, I
1: I do want to be a writer. I want to be. I thought about journalism. I mean, I I went to University of Minnesota with sort of a uh, political science and journalism background because I thought that I would want to be a journalist. And I I had a lot of interest in sort of, you know, issues of the day. I kind of grew up in, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, where there's a lot of social issues going on. And, you know, certainly women's issues and all that. Um, and again, you know, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes life is nature, nurture, luck. And I, I did get a little lucky because when I, my last year in college, I did an internship for uh, the US Senate, one of the US senators from Minnesota. And when my internship was over, they asked me if I wanted to go to DC and work in the dc office so that was oh, wow. pretty crazy i know so was here i am the first your first out of state experience so to speak yeah yeah basically uh, my parents i think we took a trip once to california once to florida but that was about it besides wisconsin which doesn't really count as uh, you know <laughs> yeah but um so um so yeah so here i am you know this 22 year old who barely four years earlier I was still living in Duluth so be careful what you wish for because all of a sudden I was like this this like Dorothy you know like what am I doing in Washington DC I was like so naive and and um but um it was it was a fabulous experience for many reasons learning seeing firsthand our US government at work number two Capitol Hill at that time especially was nothing but a bunch of young kids right out of college so my fun meter was off the charts when i was in dc i mean it was like every night after work as all these young adults are out there you know from all around the country because a lot of them came to work for their u.s senators there it was a lot of fun but i quickly realized that i had no stomach for politics i i i if you think it's nasty today I, i i mean i thought it was nasty back then so i i mean and it was probably one-tenth as nasty as it was today. So I I had no stomach for that kind of, I don't know, way of doing work or whatever. So so then I thought to myself, okay, well, what can I do with writing and communication? So I went to Northwestern University in Chicago and um, got my master's there. Now, again, this is the early 80s, way before cable, way before all these million channels and millions of online websites. And I realized that I didn't want to go back to a small town because when back then you had to start in a small town in journalism, you had to start the, you know, Ames, Iowa newspaper or the, you know, um, Abilene, Kansas TV station. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't do that. I mean, my dream was to be in a big city. <laughs> you know, so, um, so I quickly pivoted and put together a portfolio uh, for, to get a job in an advertising agency. So um you know, I have to say in honesty, in, in some ways, it was a fork I took on the road that I kind of gave up a little bit my passion around issues because, you know, selling craft cheese and McDonald's hamburgers is hardly improving the world. But you know what I made? I you know, Again, you you know, you can't get everything you want all the time, you know, every year of your life. So my choice then was I want to stay in a big city, still write. I kind of gave up my issues passion for for a while but again you have to there's trade-offs to everything so I think that's something you learn is that you can't get everything you want well a few people get everything they want all the time you know so yeah eventually you you kind of figure stuff out about well what's
0: not working with your value system or you know I've earned this much now but now what can I do next and you know there's other opportunities but yeah when you're just starting out too you got to take the opportunities in front of you and if those opportunities aren't there. You you take what you get.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I then I went from the fun meter of Capitol Hill, a bunch of young people to the fun meter, you know, advertising agency. So it was not that far removed from Mad Men, even though it was the 1980s and early 90s. So um, I won't get into my Me Too stories here at all. But I mean, it, it was a little bit of a rough and tumble world for women uh, advertising back then. But um, but I did have some great bosses um, who um, you know, just continue to build my craft of writing. You know, I think that no one's born a great writer. I mean, you know, well, very few people. And, um, you know, just i I realized that I wanted to continue to work my craft. So i when I wasn't working, you know, I was sometimes taking classes at night on different types of writing. I, remember I took a class at Second city just to learn to be a little more quick on your feet with verbal. You know use of verbal stuff so i think even if you're in a job you don't maybe think is perfect for you you know always find a way to work on your craft or your whatever whatever your interest is your skill because it'll come in handy down the road you know it really will so that i mean that it, that really helped um, absolutely
0: i'm glad you mentioned that because i remember I, I hit a point in my career where i started feeling a little stagnant Mm -hmm. And, but I was, you know, I was a vice president. I was, you know, the, when I look at my salary and I'm like, am I, am I really ready to shift or do I need to find other outlets that are going to give me maybe Mm -hmm. something that I'm not getting out of my job? My job can't be 150% Mm -hmm. of everything in my life. And so, yeah, I was, um, you know, I found a a women's leadership organization that I could be on the board of directors for, you know, so you find other outlets sometimes. Um, or when you're like when I was just starting my career I remember um, I was a supervisor but I didn't have a degree so I went to school part-time while I worked full-time so you're right you kind of just figure out how can I help continue to invest in myself to figure out where I can keep going and growing and, and getting to that next level
1: right and I think one thing that happened in the advertising agency world I mean, I you know I, I wasn't the most secure purse a little insecure again i always have this like i'm a small town girl who somehow got to the big city and i'm not as i'm not as smart i'm not as sophisticated i'm not as and you know there's nothing more brutal in advertising agency in the creative department especially back in the day i mean they they exist to like tell you how stupid your idea is and how bad it is and it's it's a fight it's a fight to get your idea to the client and it's a fight to get the client to choose your idea i mean it is sort of a mini Hollywood in that way. So oh, there's yeah. a lot of nastiness and a lot of, um, a lot of put down. So I, I began to get really sick of sort of the toxic culture of advertising agencies. And I, I was really pretty miserable. And I I, I think I looked back at some journals recently. I was like, God, I was really miserable. And mm-hmm. um, I thought for a while, maybe I wanted to go work in corporate America. And I had friends that had migrated to bigger companies. And I you know, I did some interviewing and that didn't feel right either. It didn't feel creative enough for me. I mean, um, and I I was in Chicago now at this time, and I I love Chicago, but it is sort of um, big conservative companies, you know, the big, again, the big food companies, there wasn't anything startup-y about Chicago. Maybe, Maybe if Patagonia had been there, I would have fled there or a Starbucks or something, but it was a pretty conservative corporate culture. And that didn't feel right either. So, um, you know, it was 1999. It, there was a big internet boom going on. The economy was going gangbusters. Um, at that time, my son was about six years old. I was a little tired of all the traveling involved with so advertising and production. So I decided to go out on my own. Now, that was a risk. Um, yeah. <laughs> I felt it was a calculated risk because I had a lot of contacts and i spoke with to my accountant he ran the numbers up well if you just work 30 hours making this much money you can replicate your salary now at the time my husband was not very happy about it he he was he's not a he he, he was not a risk taker he liked that steady income he wasn't actually very supportive and so i really had to like dig deep into myself and go i've got to do this i i've got to do this for myself for my own like happiness and it, it, you know it, it, it you i really had to dig deep you know um i, I think i maybe went and talk to somebody about it like a coach or something and um yeah sometimes you have to make decisions that might not make your people around you very happy and as long as you're not hurting them overtly but i mean um so i i i, I left and it it did work out luckily it was a saying: leap and the universe takes care of you um people knew I was at my own company then. So I started getting referrals. And again, I was very, very lucky for those, you know, 15, 18 years where I, you know, was running projects. I would have, I would work with other people like art directors or strategists, you know, but I, I had a really a lot of wonderful clients, a lot of wonderful projects, very steady income. So I was, you know, I really never even starved during even the downturns because, here's the thing. When the economy is bad, they don't want to take staff on full time. When the economy is good, they have so much work. So that I kind of worked both ways for me. I, I kind of was a fill-in either when times are good or when times are bad, when there was like overflow work with these clients, or they just need a specialty like writing. In fact, I'll never forget, I was writing some materials for the CEO of a large um, human resources consulting firm. And my son said to me, why are you writing for the ceo like like what he couldn't write his own stuff i said well he's just really busy (laughs) you
0: know but um
1: i mean i i tell people young you know students or anybody in their or in their 20s if they're you know english majors or liberal arts majors if you can write and if you really work on writing well you can find work out there because you know good writing is hard work and not everybody has the the wherewithal to kind of stick with it and and um so anyways that that was sort of my my uh, my trajectory through kind of writing in the communications world uh up until the last couple years where now i've been really really focusing more on book writing book writing well it sounds like your first two um jobs anyway were in very
0: uh I don't even know what's the right environment. You, you use the word toxic environments. You're in politics. And then you were in advertising. And it was like both of those seems like they were, you know, you uh, so aggressive, maybe, or um, that, yeah, and, and, yeah, then and they go out on your own, which you would, I would also say you would have to have a point, or a um, a certain demeanor of aggressiveness to sell your ideas still, but it sounds like people were coming to you. Now they knew enough about you and your network was wide enough, maybe that's was a big help.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would have to say, um, you know, I think all people, all creative people, a little bit of insecurity. But I mean, yeah, being those two fields, politics and advertising, did, did nothing to boost your or my self confidence. Um, I would say um, I had some, cl- I mean, these clients, and they were big companies. I had some clients who, who would would say to me, you know, you're you're really good at what you do, and you know, you you come through with like good ideas, and you come through on time, and and and, and after all those years of sort of being like in these toxic environments, I mean, at first I sort of didn't believe that. It's like, I mean, how weird is that? I was like, are they just being nice or something? Um, so in some, in some way, I kind of got myself rebalanced and better balanced, you know, being out on my own. And I, I, I had some, like maybe it was the Midwest. I had some really great Midwest clients who were very kind I really never had a bad client experience. I think if you're communicative, you know, with them, you express, you know, keep make sure everyone knows what's going on. I'm not that you don't have disagreements, but I think um, you know if if you're open and fair and you know communicate early and often with your clients, you know, it, things tend to go well. I think so. Yeah.
0: So maybe they they saw
1: your your work
0: product and saw it was so good. They didn't need all the other they can avoid all the craziness of the ad agency. <laughs> the,
1: yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes to the reliable
0: work source, uh, that yeah. they, they could depend on. So,
1: but I, I, another big challenge, you know, as much as, you know, I love to write, I mean, you know, you know, I worked out of my house and, um, you know, that was <laughs> way before remote, you know, uh, working was even a thing. And, um, so I was sort of well-trained for COVID because I, I was used to working out of my house a lot. But, but that being said, it get, it can get really lonely. I mean, I, I did miss the um, being in an office, the camaraderie. So I really had to work hard to, like, you know, maybe go to some professional events, you know, try to schedule a few lunches or a few. I mean, I would say the one thing I probably didn't do really well was kind of continue to network because, again, I had a son. I was busy with his activities. I was trying to keep my income going. I would say one thing in hindsight i didn't do very well I, I could have probably been a little better networker i mean business was coming in so i didn't have to network for business so much but i i think i could have just networked better just to kind of have a a little more broader view of what was going on in the world not feel so lonely at working at home so i know people cringe when you say the word network maybe it's a better word for it today i don't know building a affinity alliances but and I know it's hard when you're a working parent or you're, you've got, you know, other responsibilities, but I, if you can just find even a couple hours a month to try to get out there and meet somebody out of your sphere, I think it's good on all levels, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Um, there was a point I did
0: that. I, I woke up and, you know, you're in corporate and you're like, wow, my whole network is within my company. Right. And sometimes people don't realize that until they get laid off or until something happens and they're like, I really don't have a network and now I need one. Um, and that's kind of the hardest time to build a network because then you almost feel desperate and you feel like you're a taker. You're not a giver. And, and networking is a lot about, well, what, let's just meet. Let's just connect and see, you know, what what how what we have in common and how we might be able to help one another. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. When my son graduated from college um, about five years ago, and he moved to New York City. And I said and he had a job at a, at a nice corporation. And I said to him, that was my my only advice to him was, you know, once you get settled, he's he's in the technology world, he's a software developer, I said, try to find some some groups that, or at least one, that you can get out and meet people outside of your organization. Maybe they can bring a new skill set. So I think he found a couple, or at least one or two groups on Meetup, I guess, that Meetup app. And sure enough, he ended up making some really good friends. And now he's at a smaller startup and he's hired some of his friends to join his startup. So, you know, I think building building that network early on you just never know where it's going to take you or you can help take someone again it's yeah. not just about taking it's about it's about there's nothing more rewarding than to help you know someone you know find their way too. You oh know? yeah yeah I, I enjoy enjoy that most often, more than helping you i know, bet you something, do something, yeah. which
0: is like oh i can connect you to you and this and that no look
1: at this i know so, so gratifying yeah
0: Well, and I would guess, too, that you being at an ad agency, because you were working with so many different clients, that immediately gives you a network. You know, I worked at a corporation. We had banking clients, now that I think about it, that if I wanted to have worked at a bank, maybe I could have, you know, tried to contact. But all of those banks were out of Colorado. And, you know, so I will say joining that women's leadership organization here in Colorado was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, gave me just exposure to other women leaders at my level um, at different companies and then you also get a you know assess that well how how good or maybe jacked up is my world compared you know what have I been tolerating that I haven't even realized uh, this may not be a great environment or wow I'm in a really great environment and I need to keep perpetuating this and keep you know Helping others with a hand ha- back and hand forward. Yes, and you know
1: great. what's been so um, enriching or, or just affirming to me in this book world is that when I first decided I'm going to really put a lot of focus here, I joined a couple organizations. One's called the Nonfiction Authors Association. It's a woman who she's based out of San Francisco. She puts on a couple, puts on quite a few events in the year, but a couple big conferences. Um, you know, I have taken another couple courses online and. So far, the people I've met in the book publishing world as, as sort of the more providers, like the writers or the editors, um, it's such an open community. I mean, you know, people share everything. They share their tips, they share what their fees are. So you have a sense of, you know, what, what can you charge for different types of books. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, the fact is it's hard to write, you know, as a collaborative writer, you know, a book takes about six months to write, and you can kind of overlap the books. So, like, you know, you might be doing the research on one while you're finishing writing the other one or vice versa, but you're probably not going to write more than three or four books a year, unless you're, I don't know, super. But so, you know, a a lot of, you know, collaborative writers said to me, well, you know, as you get going, keep in touch with me because, you know, I'm going to have too many, too many, um, Book requests come in that I can't handle. That I, you know, so people I, I, I found people very generous and very open, and it's 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 really heartwarming to me because I feel like I spent, you know, the first chunk of my career in people who were like not so open and generous. So it's 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 been very lovely to me to be in this profession. Wow, like a whole 180. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, totally. And now you're throwing.
0: Well, Matt, I'm, I'm so glad that you t- shared that um, collaborative nature of it because you're right. I mean, I could see how if you're writing a book, you have all these ideas swimming in your head that you need to organize and get out. If you were writing another book, all those ideas are in there swimming and they need to get out. I mean, that could be,
1: oh, that could be kind of.
0: Well, you're also, trying to, you're also
1: trying to keep the author's voice going. So you Yeah, and them. then the author's way. Yeah, then all that. Wow. wow. I guess, yeah. you know, I guess there's kind of, I, going back to, I think you mentioned limiting beliefs earlier. I mean, I, I think there's kind of two ways you can think about the world. There's plenty enough for everybody. So don't be, you know, so uh, selfish or you closed about sharing things. Um, and there's other people who think like, oh no, there is not enough and I have to protect every little bit. So I, you know, I, 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 I like to take the other road. And I feel like, even if you feel you might be getting a little, shorten the deal. Sometimes it always works out. You know what I mean? I, I still believe a little bit, maybe it's naive, but even if you give a little more than you get, it's going to work out in the end, you know? Yeah. 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 Yep. I would say yeah. uh,
0: I'm in the same camp there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's in our nature. So, well, Melinda, I could probably chat with you all afternoon, but we do need to start wrapping up. So um, if you would kind of give us a reflective view back on uh, what do you think served you best when you look back on your career? And it can be a strength or a personality trait, uh, or maybe a discipline or a habit. What What do you think has served you best?
1: I think a couple things. One is, you know, i I always took great pride in in my writing craft. I mean, I, I remember, like, you know, even when I had a crappy assignment in the ad agency world, like. Um, like like think of like you know write the back copy for a cereal box you know what I mean I mean I just always did the very best I could I don't know why I just took a lot of pride in because I think how you do the little things reflects uh, how you'll do the big things and I think that too and I think with again with clients that I had or else even with bosses I had I think they did appreciate about me I never showed up with a half-baked anything you know um so I think I think just you know you, you got to give it your best you really do it, it reflects on you and and you know it's you in those reputation building years you don't get a reputation as oh that person always shows up with stuff they want to work on or something so yeah. You, yeah. you can't buy back your reputation very easily once you get a bad one so just always give it give as much as you can give it give it your all you know um the second thing is i think you know you have to you do have to build up a little bit of resilience and um Things aren't going to go your way people are going to be mean to you or, or not nice to you and i think you know sometimes you have to kind of just take a deep breath it's not about you all the time and just you know um you know it, it, and if the situation isn't working then you find a new situation but i think that um you, know, you just you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other keep trying to focus on a goal you know try not to get you know don't get discouraged you know things are not going to go your way all the time but just trying to just keep that positive, can-do attitude and keep keep marching forward. Yeah. Well, you're definitely an example of both of those things.
0: Uh, obviously, your reputation was very strong because when you went out on your own, you were getting calls uh, right away. And that um, and you have definitely survived and bounced back from two very high high profile or cutthroat, I guess I would say, uh, industries. So very cool. Yeah. Well, okay. So last question then. Do you have any
1: words of wisdom that have really been impactful for you? You know i it's a little bit what i just said i think you know just keep your eye on the work you know if you start getting yourself so tangled up in the politics or so tangled up in the those dynamic those dynamics are outside of your control a lot of times you know, you spend so much time worrying about who who's gonna get that promotion or, or or did that client not like this or, i mean it just keep your eye on the work, just do the best work you can, and it will lead you somewhere, trust me, you know? So, you know, I think, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, it's hard sometimes when you work in an environment to kind of not let those external forces um mm-hmm. weigh on you, but it just just try to focus on your work, just do the best you can, and, and you, you're gonna go places, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's There are two things to focus on. You can focus on the politics or the work, yeah. Sometimes you're focusing on both, but then you can put way too much emphasis on the politics because that's the everyday, the relationship stuff. Well, it's funny, you know, the book we're reading now, you know, um, "Think Again" by Adam Grant. You know, one of the things he was talking about was that relationship conflict and task conflict. You know, about how if you're having conflict in the in your world, that's about the work that you're doing versus relationship conflict, which is all the politics, right? And the successful companies are the ones or the successful teams are the ones that they can have conflict about the task and the work, but the relationship conflict is what kills companies right, exactly. and projects and teams and stuff. So yeah, interesting.
1: just just one last thing that uh, is that, you know, always, always come with a solution or an idea. And I, I mean, I'm sure you've heard that in your management world life. And it's like, you can grouse all day, you can complain all day, you can raise problem after problem, that's fine, but you know what, what's the solution? I mean, I think that, you know, you know, I mean, and you know, coming into, I, you know, I, I, I hated it when I was a boss, I hated it when I was a team member, and it's like, you come into a meeting, you can say what the challenge was, but have a solution or have it, and it doesn't have to be the right solution, doesn't have to be the right idea, but show up and make like, act like you thought about it and you cared enough to try to get you out of that situation, if that makes any sense. So,
0: yeah, just don't bring up the complaint or just be the the, the complainer, so to speak. No, yeah.
1: no one's mad at someone who comes in with an idea or a solution, even if, it's, even if it's not the right one. It shows you tried and it shows that you cared enough to try. You yeah.
0: Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great, great words of wisdom there. And uh,
1: thank you so much. First, oh, it's been a delight, Kathy. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, best of luck on the rest of your episodes coming up.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing your story. As you never know who needed to hear that today. They might be in that toxic environment going, oh, what? I don't need to be here. Or maybe there is another way that I can go. So, right. right. All righty. Well, thank you again, Melinda. Thanks, and Kathy. See you soon. If you would enjoy today's uh episode, please subscribe below and you'll be alerted to other interviews as they are published. And if you have any questions for me or for Melinda, you can find me on lifestorycurator.com. You can post questions there and I'll also post Melinda's social media there should you be uh, in the need to write a book and you need uh, help with the writing of that. So on that note, I would say stay safe, stay
1: well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.